This podcast is sponsored by Agape Match. Agape Match is a boutique matchmaking service that caters to exceptional singles. To learn more about how I can help you, go to agapematch.com. Welcome to Ask a Matchmaker. I'm your host, Matchmaker Maria. For over a decade, I have combined four generations of family matchmaking tradition with modern relationship psychology, behavioral science, and dating trends. With this unique expertise, each week I bring a guest on to talk about dating and relationships while answering your questions. You can ask a question by visiting askamatchmaker.com. In this week's episode, I am speaking to writer Zoe Gullickson. She'll be sharing a breakup story, and I'll be asking her questions to make sense of her dating disaster. So a little different this week, but let's, let's roll with it. Let's roll with it. Zoe Gullickson is a writer currently living in Asbury Park, New Jersey. Is that the home of the boss? Uh, yes, it is. It is most <laughs> famous for Bruce Springsteen and many other artists have passed by through here. Zoe's worked at a wealth of different places, including Gotham News, the New York Public Library, Movie Pass, and Midtown Comics. While working as a movie journalist, she's interviewed talent such as Steven Spielberg, Peter Jackson, Colin Firth, Ryan Gosling, Leno DiCaprio, and many, many more. As we will learn from today's episode... My sister follows your work, she follows your blog, and you blogged this insane dating story. And then she <laughs> scheduled you in front of me, and here we are today. <laughs> Which I'm very happy to be here. I love the chance to be able to talk to you. Amazing. And just a really quick disclaimer, we're going to be talking about a guy that Zoe dated. We are not going to be using his real name. So let's just nope. call him John. Let's call him John for the rest of this episode. Tell me your background first. Like you grew up, did you grow up in New Jersey? So yes, I grew up in New Jersey, right by Rutgers University. I commuted to Rutgers. And then as soon as I graduated with a degree in creative writing, I immediately moved to Manhattan. I'd already been working there um, on the weekends during my free time, working at a comic shop, Midtown Comics, like you mentioned, in Times Square. So I was uh, hosting their book clubs and a lot of their events, going to Comic-Con, both at New York and San Diego for them. And that's how I kind of got my foot on the internet 10 years ago. People Mm -hmm. really liked, I would dress up as comic book characters. And so I gained a following online that way. Okay. So uh, before I even graduated college, I had a weird little internet following. Fantastic. So then did you move to Manhattan? Right. As soon as I graduated, I did. I moved to Manhattan. I moved to the Upper West Side because I wanted to live out the my you've got mail fantasy. <laughs> oh my God. In, in, in last week's episode, Gus and I, my guest Gus and I, we talk about how you've got mail is actually an insane story. Like at what point in that movie do they fall in love? Right, right. There, there's, <laughs> it's very blurry, but for 22 year old me, that was the perfect life. And so sure. I made all my life choices. <laughs> With a cardigan. Yes. Wearing a Meg Ryan cardigan. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So you moved to the Upper West Side. Um, did you date in college? A little bit here and there. Um, it was, I dated for the first years I, of college, I dated my high school boyfriend. And then we broke up um, at the end of my sophomore year. And then it, that started happening around the same time that I became slightly weirdly internet famous. So then I just casually dated a bunch of people that I met in the comic book industry in New York City. 
what year did you move? So I graduated in May of 2012 and then moved officially to Manhattan August 2012. Okay. Were you online dating? Were you app dating? Were you meeting people out and about? Before I even graduated from college in 2011, I was approached by a guy, John, uh, through Twitter. Oh, wait, hold up. My sister told me your story a little bit before she booked this. I thought like as a real adult, like a graduated adult, you had already dated, you dated this person before you graduated college? Correct. Okay. All right. So that This gives me a little bit more. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right, cool. So you, so how did, wait, how did you meet John? So he found me on Twitter. He saw that I was getting a lot of recognition on Twitter and he direct messaged me and he said that he ran a news outlet. So a website that does movie reviews and he was based out of Virginia, but he wanted a New York based journalist to interview celebrities, go to movie premieres. And as a newly 21 year old, I thought, wow, this is amazing. This is my dream job. I didn't even have to fight for it. Here's someone giving it to me. So uh, that is how we met. And when he came up to do press for a movie in New York, we met for lunch. And that was when he officially said, hey, like you're perfect. Everyone on the internet is starting to know who you are already let's do this. Like you can work for my company. And that was the summer before my senior year of college. The summer before your senior year of college. Yes. So then we did long. So you're still living. I'm still living at home with my parents in New Jersey. And you have a paying job. So yes, yes. I'm getting paid to be a journalist, but it very quickly became, if you want this job, you are going to have to date me. So my boss, in order for me to have these job opportunities in New York, to be able to get to interview celebrities such as Winona Ryder, I would have to keep going on these dates with him whenever he was also in New York City the same time I was. Okay. You're 21 when this was proposed to you? Correct. And he was 28. He was 28. Yeah. That was my next question. How old was he? So it's a very Hmm. messy story. Lots of grooming. Walk me through this now. So- now, I mean, in hindsight, everything is 2020. Right. Do you feel like, how did you feel initially when you, when he proposed this? How quickly did he propose this to you? So we had lunch together once. And then afterwards he went back to Virginia because he hadn't moved to New York yet. And it was just lots of just talking a lot. And he wanted things to be very romantic. And I was aware of that, but because I'd worked in the comic book industry, so a lot of guys see a girl who's pretty and knows a lot about comic books and movies, and so I just kind of kept him at arm's length and was willing to do whatever he wanted. If he wanted to go on a date every time he was in town, that was fine with me because it meant that I could have this job, this incredible, amazing opportunity, and so I just went with it. Did you have sex? Yes. Okay, so it's not just dating then. It's not just going on dates. It was very unconventional where he would have to come out from Virginia and we'd get a hotel room. And I wasn't, I didn't dislike him. I didn't trust him. But I saw as a way of, okay, this is how things are in the industry. And he wasn't back then in the beginning, he wasn't mean to me. But I could see in hindsight, of course, how 
there was a lot of things that he did to get me to do what he wanted without me arguing or disagreeing with him. Did well, the first time you met, did you hook up? No, no. We just had lunch together. This was nine years ago. I had just turned 21 and we had met in person a couple of times without hooking up. And then he was able to get me a press pass to San Diego Comic-Con the summer of 2011. And those are very hard to get for those that aren't in the industry. So a press pass is very hard to get, let alone just a regular pass. So through underneath his website, he got me a press pass so I could go and interview movie stars that were going to be at the convention. And at the last minute, he told me that something happened with his room and he didn't have a place to stay. So he wanted to know if he could crash in my hotel room. And I was like, you know what? Fine. Like you can sleep on the couch. I have a one bedroom suite. Sure. Not a problem. And now he's paid for this hotel room. No, I paid for the hotel room. Whoa, 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 because... whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Did you pay for, wait, I'm so confused now. Hold up. You've gone there for work. Yes. Why are you paying for your because own room? I paid for my own flight and my own room. Because... Okay. And before you defend it in hindsight, do you realize that that was, that's not how it's done, is it? No, absolutely not. Okay. I just want to make sure that as we're going, there's like lessons being learned for anyone listening. Yes, absolutely. That is not how it's done. I did pay for my own flight in my own hotel room. And I was blindsided because I was just, I just felt so lucky that I was able to go in the first place. So when he said that he needed a place to stay, I was just like, okay, like, that's fine. You can just sleep on the couch. Um, I have a suite, so I can close the door. It won't be a problem. That first night we did hook up. It was consensual. It was fine. It was not a problem. But the next night he suddenly, I woke up in the middle of the night and he was having this complete meltdown, right? He's just throwing all this stuff around the hotel room. He's throwing all his clothes and everything he packed into a bag. And he's just like, I'm in love with you and you're not in love with me. And just having this hissy fit and rambling and not making any sense. And I'm like, it's two o'clock in the morning. I'm 21. What's happening? What's going on? And he just was just yelling. And he was so upset about the fact that he was in love with me and I didn't feel the same way. And then he left. Did you guys talk that that day at all? No, no. So before before this happened, we had just walked around the convention together and it was just a normal work experience. We had a schedule of people to talk to, panels to cover, and we would go back to the hotel room to write up articles on our laptops. And then that was it. Let's talk a little bit more about, so what company does he own or owned? I don't know. So he had started a website called Daily Blam, which he then changed the name to Gotham News. Was Gotham News like a legitimate website or... Yes. So it was a legitimate website. He had been running it for a few years. He had other journalists uh, across the country, people out in LA that would go, he would get press passes for, and they would go see a movie for free, write up articles and submit it. And people got paid. He was running it out of his house. So uh, it wasn't like he didn't have an office. Um, Before this, he had worked for a different news outlet website that covered a lot of the same things but he branched out and wanted to start his own before this he was in the military 
that was as much as I knew at that point. Okay, so, so he's then, having a meltdown and, you know, and how leaves. does this... Oh, and then he leaves. He leaves at 2 a.m. He brings his suitcase He takes his stuff? Him. Yeah, oh my he goodness. takes his stuff and leaves. And I'm just like, I don't Did you know go back what's to bed? going on. <laughs> yeah, I just went to back to bed. I like locked the room and was like, okay, well, I have a bunch of really cool interviews that I get to do tomorrow. I have friends that I can hang out with. So I spent the the next rest of the day hanging out with friends, going to panels, having a really good time because my main focus was still that I was at San Diego Comic-Con for the first time. I was 21. It was amazing. It was this big trip. I got to meet a lot of friends that I had made online. So it really wasn't that big of a deal. And then I get a phone call around like five, six o'clock that evening. And it's this man, John. And he says that he got drunk at a press event with the actor Tom Hardy. So he was doing a press event, so allegedly. And the actor Tom Hardy said, what's wrong, man? You look down on your luck. What's going on? He's like, this girl broke my heart. So his actor supposedly bought him a, a, a round of drinks. And so he got really drunk and went back to my hotel room because he had stolen a key to the room. And he was in my room and he called me and I was, I was at the convention. I wasn't at my room and he was just super drunk and crying and just having another meltdown. Did you like, call hotel security to get him out of the room that you've paid for? No. Cause I didn't know enough. I didn't. Cause you're I 21. <laughs> right. I had no idea that something like that was even possible. Right. That would have been my first reaction is like, oh God, I don't want to steal my laptop. Let me get him out of there. <laughs> right. No, I had absolutely, this was not. It didn't any, register. No, it was unlike anything I'd ever had done before. And a big thing that was lo- looming over me was that I only had dated people my own age. Here was someone who was 28, had done two tours overseas in the military, owned his website. He was my boss. So I didn't question a lot of And you're 21. It's not it's right. not the age difference cuz like oh my god my husband and I we have a 6 year age difference. Mm-hmm. I don't really notice it cuz I met him at 28 when he was 35. Oh wait, we have a 7 year age difference. It's not really a big deal when you've already kind of had some dating experience under your belt, life experience under your belt. Right. You're 21, you haven't even graduated college. Correct. I don't even know how much your hypothalamus is in your brain is like fully developed. Absolutely. Um, to like, even it's- like, cause you know, I think when I say this, you know, the reason why, you know, you're not considered an adult when you, if you were to commit a crime as a teenager is because your hypothalamus is not fully developed to be able to see long-term consequences. And, you know, there's a reason why they say, you know, I don't agree with this necessarily, but the drinking age in America is 21. We're in a lot of parts of the world, it's 16 and 18. As you're speaking, I'm thinking to myself, you know, Zoe was 21. It has nothing to, you know, it has, a, obviously what he's doing is abusing you. And we'll learn more about that in a minute, but already there is uh, manipulation Absolutely. taking part. And you don't have, you don't even know what tools are available to you. No, I had no right. idea. I had, like I said, had only dated people who were my own age. So I never had a real grown-up relationship. I had already had, I was in a relationship with a high school boyfriend for many years. So I already had like sex. I wasn't a virgin. So I had hooked up with a couple of other people in college. So it wasn't 
my first time sleeping with someone, but it was the first time that I was in this suddenly very adult situation that I didn't uh, fully understand. And so uh, I saw him as the adult in the situation. So whenever he would say something, I took it as, oh, this is what an adult relationship or interaction is like, because I didn't know any better. So how does San Diego end? Do you go back to your room? I go back to my room because on the phone call, when he says that he's drunk, he's in my hotel room, he says, I tell him, I'm like, you need to leave. I don't want you there. Leave the key. Just please go away. And he's like, oh, I'm taking this drug out of my bag. And it's the equivalent to speed. They use in the military to give you an adrenaline rush to help you focus. And I'm just freaking out. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're taking drugs in my hotel room. What is this? And I finally show up to the hotel room and he's just so out of it. He's loopy. He's drunk. I don't know if he actually did take some sort of secret military drug that he had on him, but I was able to get him to leave and had him leave me my key. So then that was Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I did not hear from him. I didn't see him at the convention. And then Sunday afternoon. How are you at work now? Like you're meeting celebrities, you're meeting new friends. Yep. How, how has your behavior shifted by this? Um, I tried to just really suppress it and not think about it mm-hmm. because there was all this other extraordinary experiences happening around me. Okay, I, I, I totally I, get that. There was uh, people that I had made friends with on Twitter that I didn't know in person. And I talk about it all the time. I'm still friends with these two very lovely guys, Justin and Nate, who uh, saw me wandering around the convention floor by myself. And they were friends. They lived in California and they saw me and they're like, hey, it's you. Like, we recognize you. We love your costumes that you put online. Like, we get a picture with you. And I just immediately got like a gut good feeling about them. And after I took pictures with them, I said, hey, I'm like, I have some time to kill. Can I just like wander around with you guys? And I always tell them, like, if it was anybody else, I'm like, I could have been kidnapped, but you guys really took care of me that weekend. It was a very polarizing trip because I had a lot of amazing experiences mixed in with these really like traumatic things that Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to process. So Sunday, right? So the end of the last day of the convention is Sunday. And Sunday afternoon, I hear from John for the first time in a couple of days since he left my hotel room. And I ask him, like, what do you want? And he says, there is, I'm at the Firefly panel, which is a cult favorite sci-fi TV show. And the main actor is there. And I have um, passes to, for his signing. Would you like to ma- meet Nathan Fillion and get something signed by him? And being a 21-year-old nerd who this is a TV show that I am obsessed with and love so much, I said, sure, okay. It was just dangling this magic carrot in front of me of, you know what? I can put up with your craziness and your bullshit in order to meet someone I will never have the opportunity to meet again. Uh So then I didn't meet up with him at the convention, got to meet the celebrity. It was amazing. It was such a great experience. And then the next day I got on a plane to go home. And so he was flying, everyone at the convention is flying home at the same time. So you basically see San Diego airport with all these people who look like they're coming from Comic-Con with their superhero hats and clothes. So you can tell that everyone is the same 
kind mm-hmm. of like everyone's coming from the same convention so we're at the airport at the same time and he's supposed to fly back to virginia and i'm supposed to fly back to new jersey and we're in this airport and i'm like okay like see you later bye it was like i hope you're feeling better we'll just talk next time there's an event you want me to do in new york and uh, he was very i gotta go back to college yeah yeah i'm just gonna go back to my life and try and pretend like the bad stuff that happened this weekend didn't happen and only focus on the good things and so i get on my flight and i sit down and while people are still coming boarding the plane he is suddenly on my plane (gasps) how did you feel when you saw his face i was just just totally flabbergasted and speechless and he looks at me and he's has a first class ticket and he goes to the young man sitting next to me and he says i will trade you my first class seat if i can have your seat of course this guy's like absolutely no questions done here you go (laughs) did the guy next to you ask you no okay for any men listening (laughs) (laughs) obviously by him offering the first class ticket he wants to sit in that seat which is next to this woman right was that obvious to the guy that switched seats Yes. Would you have felt better if the guy had said, is that okay with you? Do you want this man sitting next to you? Absolutely. But how often does that happen? No, no, no. That's not what I'm, no, no, no. Look, look, this is a learning, this is a learning (laughs) episode. Okay. Yes. Yes. I want any man listening to this. If a guy comes and gives you a first class ticket because he wants to sit next to the woman you're sitting with, one, maybe she's worth sitting next to and you shouldn't be getting up. But two- you should ask her first, do you want this person sitting next to you? Now, what would you, had he asked you, would you have said, would you feel at the age of 21, you would have said, yeah, okay. Or would you have said, no, please like save me. Like, don't, don't let this happen. Uh, Because the flight was crowded and because John is standing there, I would have felt the pressure either way to let him switch seats with me. But it would have given pause and made me think about the situation more if the guy sitting next to me had pointed out that, hey, this might not be okay. Are you okay? And because that wasn't something that happened, I didn't do that for myself. Right, right, right. So John sits next to you on this plane while, you know, guy in 14B is enjoying a champagne flute. Okay. And he says, don't you see how crazy I am about you? I just dropped $10,000 on a last minute first class ticket to New Jersey just so I can spend more time with you. Okay. Just that sentence alone, just that sentence alone tells me, and I'm not a clinical psychologist, so, you know, whatever, but it tells me that this person is having a, a manic attack. Like he might be bipolar like lavish spending that's just not rational (laughs) no absolutely not that's not that's not normal that's not emotionally mature all right so he says that to you and then what is your response i remember thinking that okay well people in movies make grand gestures the end of the wedding singer when adam sandler shows up on drew barrymore's flight Mm -hmm. it's I thought it was, okay, well, maybe this is just what adult relationships are like. This is right. the guy making the grand gesture to the girl on the plane. How, that I feel like that happened, has happened a lot in movies. And this is someone that I should consider because 
he does care about me enough to spend $10,000 on just to sit next to me for the next four hours. Mm -hmm. So I was aware that it was weird, but four hours. Wait, you're in San Diego. You're going to New York. Okay, so four. Yeah, so I guess more like five to six, but yeah, it's probably like six hours plus the time difference. Okay, so we're talking about essentially nine hours. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, and then what was that? What was that trip like? Did you guys talk? Um, I remember we talked some, but it was also a flight that was late in the evening. So I probably dozed off or read a book. There wasn't a anything grand happening there wasn't a conversation this this kind of reminds me a little bit of um i had once gone to um south by southwest i've been to south by southwest so many times so if any of my listeners are wondering why i keep sometimes my stories are in south by southwest it's just been there like seven times i remember once i was in south by southwest and i was dating a guy who i had just found out he was actually married found out because i was on his linkedin Oh no. And um, I was just kind of like looking through like who are not only who our shared connections are, which we had a ton. I, I wanted to see like, you know, sometimes you could see people's connections. So sometimes I like to go through people's connections as a matchmaker to see like, who oh, do you have anyone here? I need to know to see if they're single so I can set them up. And there's a woman who had the same last name as him and under occupation, it said domestic engineer. <laughs> which okay. okay no 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 disrespect how you know nope. you're a stay-at-home mom go for it but that i thought that was really i thought that was like really funny like funny <laughs> for her like, i thought i thought that was like a great sense of humor for her i was not making fun of her in any way i thought that was like just really funny period anyway and um i look at her and i'm like oh you know maybe it's a sister like i'm just trying to kind of make sense of it all so i went on her facebook and i saw photos of them oh <laughs> like, boy. happy family she had like a newborn oh no yeah <laughs> I had hooked up with him in New York. And then when I was in South by Southwest, like we were going to meet up. I remember I South by Southwest. I was like, kind of like, I don't want to see this person. Like this is not, so I have to find ways to avoid him now, even though we had made plans to meet up and he would do these, like at every point when I ignored him, he would do these like grand reactions like this one. I don't have that many moments with him. Thank God. But I remember this one (laughs) moment thinking like oh god if i was young enough maybe i'd fall for what you're about to do because i'd already had an established business and i don't want to talk to this married man (laughs) with two young children i remember walking on the sidewalk going to an event and he's walking towards me and i'm like okay i'm gonna pass him on the sidewalk now and he starts saying he's like why don't you want to talk to me and i'm like i don't want to talk to you because i don't want to talk to you like i'm not interested like you know this this is what you have going on i'm just not you know this is it and then he's like what did he say? He, he, I basically quoted like the end of Hitch. Like you sell love, but you don't even know what love is. And like, he said this really loudly to people. Like there were people like standing in line for like some bar and I'm just looking at, I'm like, you, I, uh, dude, I, I know how to love. I just don't want to be with you. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> like, I just remember like the way he said it. I was like, you have watched way too many movies and what you're doing is just not going to work on me because I'm, I'm a woman. Like I'm an adult woman. I was 26 at the time. So you're and, a real person. You're not a fictional character. Right. And just the way he, like, and I was just like, you're quoting Hitch. Like he's really ruined that movie for me in general. And I don't <laughs> no. even like, I don't watch mm-hmm. like reality TV. I don't watch matchmaking movies. and stuff. I used to love Hitch. 
And now I'm like, oh, here we go. Like, (laughs) (laughs) anyway, I can totally understand like what you're saying. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to have similar experiences where men tend to mimic what they see on TV thinking this this is what works. And then as women, we see what's going on TV and we adapt to that as well. But again, as if anyone has listened to our previous episode, TV and movies are truly not a testament of what real life relationships are, but okay. Nor what they should be like. Nor what they should be. So now wait, you're going to college. Where's he going? So from New Jersey, he went back to Virginia and this was July. I was still starting my senior year of college at Rutgers University in September. So Mm -hmm. at the very end of August, he suddenly, without giving me any heads up, rented apartment on the Upper West Side, which he knew was my dream place to live after college. And he said that he moved up from Virginia, was staying there. And uh, I will hold on to this apartment for you. So when my lease is up in a year, you can have it. It was a block away from Central Park. It had a fireplace. It was a beautiful studio in a brownstone. And I was just completely enamored. Like, okay, this is amazing. This is something out of a fairy tale or out of a movie. Like, and okay, what he's I'll, offering to pay rent? Like I'm, I'm So he's here. living there. Yes. So he's living there. He's paying his rent there. And that, this but is, wait, wait, wait. But like, what does that mean? Like for you, like when you come, when you graduate, you have this apartment waiting for you. Are you paying rent? It was under the assumption that he would lease the apartment for a year. And then when the year was up after, cause by then I would have finished my last year of college, then he would tell the landlord that I'm leaving, but you should rent the apartment to this girl. So Which, it was, I mean, just to be fair, you really don't need his help on this at all because there's a thousand realtors who want your business in that year. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. So how was your last year at Rutgers? So it was a lot of anytime I didn't have class, I was taking the train into the city to do all these incredible interviews. That first year of working as a movie journalist was so full of turmoil. And then at the same time, just extraordinary events that I will always be grateful to have, such as interviewing Steven Spielberg. So I would go into the city and we would do these events together. So it was almost every weekend where I would take the 30-minute train ride from New Jersey into Manhattan and either kill time at his apartment, hook up. I have a question now, back to the magazine. I don't know how this industry works. You're going to have to explain it to me. How does a movie news website run out of someone's apartment in Virginia and now the Upper West Side that seems to have freelance journalists able to secure an interview with the top director on the planet. Since he had already worked for a previous website and then went out and launched his own, he had already made all the PR connections and knew all the PR people at the different movie studios. So he would reach out to these and typically women who handle PR for studios and he would get on the PR list. And I would also get the same emails. You get five to 10 emails a day saying, hey, we're announcing this new movie or TV show. We are holding a press junket or a press day to promote this film. Would you like to be a part of it? And so then we got to pick and choose and say, yes, I would like to be there or no, thank you. This is a small indie movie that we won't get a lot of hits on our website if we cover. So we won't waste our time doing it. In the matter of Steven Spielberg, it was in a 
it was a panel interview. So there were journalists in this hotel room together and there was a panel of all the actors that were on a table separate from us, but each person got to, I raised my hand, they handed me the mic and I got to talk directly to Steven Spielberg and anyone else I wanted to talk to and recorded those interviews and then later transcribed it and published it on the website. Okay. It's a very confusing whirlwind. No, you just <laughs> explained it really well. So now like, is this relationship still going? Have we graduated Rutgers yet? Like what's the... So then it goes into uh, the spring, right? Of my senior year. And I, around Valentine's Day, I broke things off with him because we were constantly fighting the main problem was, is that I would get so excited about these interviews and the interviews in New York or with celebrities are always held at very expensive hotels. So they were always at the Plaza or the Astoria or the Ritz Carlton, literally any other hotel you could think of that's famous in New York City. That's where they were. And it was just this, you are given brunch for free. You get you end up in the elevator with famous celebrities by accident. You get to chat with them because lots of different press is going on for different movies at the same time on different floors. So you could run into anybody and it was so exhilarating. And, but he, John would get angry that I was doing well at these events and getting more attention from people because I was a young, attractive 21-year-old where the majority of the other journalists were middle-aged men. After the interviews, like even in the green room, right, before the room that the press journalists hang out in before we get to interview the celebrities, he would yell at me or start a fight and demean me in front of my colleagues, the other journalists. So he, what do you mean he would demean you? Like, tell me what he would say. So what he was would he doing? Say, what are you doing? You can't, you shouldn't eat that kind of breakfast in front of other people. You'll, people will think that you're um, a piggy or that you're fat or stop acting. Don't sit like that. Everyone can tell that you're so young. You're acting like a child. And it was, you would say this in front of people. Yes. You would say it in front of other people. Um, Those other people, men, women, men, because all the journalists I ever encountered and interacted with were middle-aged men. And no one reacted, no one, not, not an eyebrow, nothing? Nope, not yet. There was only one time where that happened and it wasn't for another like two years. Okay, fast forward me to that. What happened there? This was an event where John wasn't even at. I was by myself and it was to do press for a movie that was about hockey. And I was in the corner of a hotel room preparing to go into the hotel room to actually interview the celebrities. And I was charging my phone in the corner and all these other middle-aged men who had been veterans in the industry, who've been doing this for 30 years, who had been doing it, movie reviews in print before the internet came out, all of a sudden I felt myself cornered and surrounded by these men who were just asking me all these questions and hitting on me. And nobody, I was so scared and just annoyed because this was the culture of being a journalist in New York City. And only one other person who is not a typical journalist, my friend Joe, he is someone that did not work for a news outlet. He reviewed hockey games. And this was a movie that happened to be about hockey. So he happened to be there and he kind of came over and was like, Hey, how are you doing? Like acted like he was my friend and he knew me. So everyone then left me alone. But, and then that way we became friends. And then to this day, we are still friends, but that is the only time in my 
three-year history of being a, a movie journalist in New York City that anyone ever stepped up to me and was like, hey, you guys are being creepy someone's, or someone's not treating you right. Let me do something mm -hmm. about it. So wait, does this story with John last two years? It lasts from 2011 to 2014. <gasps> okay. Yep. We gotta, we gotta pace this up a little higher <laughs> then. Okay. So you've graduated. Have you moved into the Upper West Side? So then I graduated and I didn't want to live with him. I got my own place on the Upper West Side. Does John ever get better? Oh my goodness. No. So it how come, why did you stay with him? So it was complete. Anytime I broke up with him, the way that he lured me back or anytime I even, cause I never really even considered us to be in a relationship. It was, you're my boss and I have to put up with you to get the, to do these amazing interviews. So I was aware in that sense that I did not love him. I did not, I was not looking for a future with him. And three or four times I had definitely tried to just say, you know what, leave me alone. I don't want to have any part in this anymore. You treat me like dirt. I'm out. And then the next day he'll come over, he'll email me or text me and say, Hey, I got front row Broadway tickets to that show that you've been dying to see. Do you, he's like, they're just going to go to waste if you don't go. And then I would then be lured back in because again, a once in a lifetime opportunity that a 22 year old living in the city wouldn't be able to afford an $800 Broadway ticket. So of course I would go. And it was, Do you know what your love language is now it is zero grand gestures. <laughs> um, I, I, in the terms of what the, I'm not sure what the actual terms of the love language is, but I have a general idea of what I prefer in a relationship. What do you prefer in a relationship? I'm engaged. I've with someone I've been dating for six years that I actually met off of Tinder, <laughs> believe it or not. I believe um, it. Tinder's a great website. Yes. I like someone who doesn't talk down to me for obvious reasons. Someone who treats me as an equal, someone who appreciates my unique personality doesn't try and have any control over me and shows affection in simple, honest, genuine ways. So when you say this story about things that would bring them in, it seems like very gift oriented. Absolutely. It was and always like that. So I'm wondering how much your love language is gifts. Because for Today, me personally, I don't mm -hmm. know if I believe at the age of 22, I don't think an $800 Broadway show ticket would have ever lured me to go out with someone I don't want to see. It was more the experience. I would have not been able to experience this Broadway show if I didn't go with him. I wouldn't have been able to experience meeting Ryan Gosling or some other, all these other crazy celebrities I've interviewed. It was always the lure of an adventure and a once in a lifetime opportunity where if I didn't go, I would never get that chance again. Did you live with this person? So uh, a year after I moved to the city, he and I, John and I, were on, were walking into a Best Buy on a rainy day on the Upper mm -hmm. West Side, and I fell down the escalator because it was wet. And I injured my arm, and the doctors at first had no idea what was wrong with me. And there was a lawsuit. There was, my arm was in a cast. I ended up having severe nerve damage to my arm and 
I was faced with the choice of I either move back to New Jersey and give up this dream I've had my entire life of living in New York or moving in with John because I couldn't carry groceries to my apartment. I couldn't carry my laundry down to the basement. And my I didn't want to feel like a failure. I didn't want to be labeled as, as one of those girls who couldn't make it in the city. I was determined to live in New York forever. I was going to die on that island and like heaven help me if I ever had to move back to New Jersey. I was never going to be one of those people. I'm living this amazing life. Why would I give it up? So then I moved in with him instead of moving back home. Do you regret that? 100%. And the irony, of course, for anyone listening is that you live in New Jersey now and you are happy. So I do. Right. So do you feel like you're a failure for living in New Jersey? No, I did. Now I do not. It took me a lot of therapy when I was living in New York because I was going to a lot of doctors because nobody could figure out what was wrong with me. And my primary neurologist said, I refuse to treat you unless you go see a therapist because you are depressed. And I was depressed because I was living with someone who was emotionally, verbally abusing me. And then on one or two occasions would physically abuse me. So uh, it took me a lot of therapy to, and the main part of the therapy, I hardly ever even talked about John because it wasn't a matter of if I cared about him, if I stayed with him, it was, I'm a failure if I give up. I have to keep fighting. I can fight against him. I can survive against him. I don't want to give up my dream of living in New York. And my therapist had said, thank God for her. She's just like, you are in a toxic situation. You can always come back. You are not a failure. And it took a long time for her to convince me. And then that's how I ended up eventually leaving. But the reason why I lived with him for a year was because I wanted to stay. Look, I can totally empathize with the feeling of like, I don't want to fail. And that's why I'm not leaving New York. I think a lot of what living in New York is, is showing that you can make it. Right. As opposed to in LA, it's very like... Well, see, LA, everyone's in their cars half the time. So it's just right, not, right. it's not the same. You know, LA is also such a massive sprawl of a city. There's mm-hmm. so many different parts of LA. You know, you can, you can make LA what you want it to be. You know, Louie, our chief operating officer and, and matchmaker, he's in LA and he lives in a suburb essentially. And, you know, he lives a very different life than someone who lives in Santa Monica, than someone who lives in downtown on... They're different um, vibes. Right. But in New York, everyone meets at Union Square to hook up with a friend, go catch a movie and have a slice of pizza. Everyone's been to Washington Square Park for an awkward first date. So it's like in New York, everyone, there's there's a lot of shared experiences. And there's that, you know, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere sort of mentality. Exactly. I get that. I wonder how much COVID has completely destroyed that, but I totally get what you're saying. So I lived in New York City for a whole 10 years with a break somewhere in the middle for a few months because one of the buildings I lived in, um, they sold. They became a luxury condo now. Oh, man. um, That's New York. (laughs) And I was in Greece when that happened. So I had to call a moving company and be like, hey, can you help me pack my apartment? (laughs) Oh, man. And I remember um, like flying back to uh, Newark Airport from Athens a few weeks later thinking like, I'm homeless right now. Like, I don't, where am I going? And of course, I'm going to go to New Jersey where my parents live and, you know, Mm -hmm. figure it out. And I remember for those like five months, you know, between apartments, 
not feeling like a failure, but my ego, my ego was so bruised and insecure. Yes, absolutely. And so the next time I moved to Manhattan and I, and I loved living in, I lived in Chelsea after that. I loved uh, living in Chelsea. I remember thinking like the next time I moved to New Jersey, it's, it's going to be because I, if I, I didn't even think about that. I just said, I don't know if I'll leave Manhattan. And it was only until uh, I was nine months pregnant with my first where, I don't know, something had happened. And I was just, I turned to my husband, I was like, we're moving. And uh, <laughs> we moved to New Jersey. And, you know, both of us were really scared because we really had, we really loved New York. 10 years, it's like a long time. Yeah. And, and also to move an apartment at nine months pregnant, like there's just a lot of things changing at once. It, you know, imagine calling your gynecologist after having like the most difficult pregnancy and saying, Hey, you know how you've been like helping us out all these months? Well, uh, I'm having another doctor deliver in New Jersey. Can you, <laughs> oh, fo- no. can you fax the files? Anyway, once I moved to New Jersey, when I was ready, when it was my decision, I always say to my friends, it took me exactly 12 minutes to fall in love. I love New Jersey. I, I think it's like the best state, but you have to want to be here and whatever. Anyway. So, um, I just want to like, kind of, absolutely no I yeah I do I absolutely love living in New Jersey now but because I don't want anyone to be in a really poor relationship where someone is emotionally and physically and what it seems like financially abusing you to to stay like if you have another option which is you know even going to your parents or to your sister or your brother like get out of that and you'll figure it out and you know Zoe I will tell you something like that Broadway ticket, it was not once in a lifetime. And I know you know that now, I hope. Do you know that now? Yes. yes. Okay. Now, yeah, meeting Ryan Gosling, I guess can be a once in a life opportunity, but So I don't we know. did hit that my breaking point was when I realized that he I don't think is... Ryan Gosling wants you to be in a bad relationship just to meet him is what no, I No, absolutely to... not. Absolutely not. Um, my break, I knew that I was done when John had told me that he had set me up with an interview with Matt Damon, but he was going to come along with me. And I said, never mind, I don't want it. And I said, okay, if I can turn down Matt Damon, that means that I'm ready to let go of this dream job that I'm so proud of, that I associate so deeply with how much I'm worth as a person. Because succeeding in New York, I had so many friends that tried to make it in New York and failed. And back in my hometown, it was a very big deal to my family, to people I knew in school and in college that like Zoe really made it. Like, look at her. She's all these things she's posting online. She's living the dream. And uh, once I turned down that interview with Matt Damon, I realized that, okay, my sanity is not worth it. This is, I'm done. I need to somehow escape and move back home with my parents in New Jersey. How were your parents throughout this? Were they aware that you were being abused? In the very beginning, when I still, my senior year of college, my parents met him once. My mom immediately hated him because she could smell the bullshit. My Asian mom (laughs) knew right away that this guy was no good and she hated him. So when I, after we had broken up the first of countless times, I never told her that we got back together. And from then on, those couple of years after, I just told my parents that it was a working relationship and that we were not dating. He saw, John saw us as dating and I let him think so because I wanted to keep my job. So 
even when it was time for me to move home, I knew that I couldn't just move to a different apartment, that he would do any, that John would do anything. He would find me in any neighborhood. He would stalk me. He would show up. He would continue to try and lure me back. So I, under the guise of wanting to live more minimalistically, I started mailing my things home to my parents slowly. My big book collection, just all of my stuff. I just said that like, I don't need these here. I'm going to move them to, to my parents until I figure out what to do with it until I really didn't have anything left in our apartment that we shared. I said that, okay, I'm going to go home. I think I just need a break for a couple weeks. I'm going to stay with my parents. I'm going to take a leave because I had another job. Being a journalist doesn't pay the bills. I worked as a receptionist at a cat hospital on the Upper West Side. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I took leave from my job and I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell anyone that any of this abuse was going on. Nobody knew. All of my friends that I did have in the beginning of this relationship with John, John also needed to be the coolest person in their lives also. So he had this ability to charm the entire room, how to just be this amazing, charismatic guy. But then slowly, my friends stopped calling and texting me. And behind my back, he was being shitty to them, or he would tell me that my female friends were trying to sleep with him. So then I was distrusting of my friends. And it just somehow, he was able to just get all of my friends to not want to be around him. And because I was around him, they didn't want to be around me. So then I was Do you, have alienated. you spoken to any of these friends since you guys broke up? So it took me a couple of years. It took me, I left in 2014. It wasn't until 2018 that I really came to terms with what had actually happened. And then I reached out to most of those old friends and apologized for what mm. had happened. And it was more of a, of most of the conversations I had were like mutual apologies of them saying, we knew this was bad, but we didn't know how to handle it. So we just left it alone. What do you think in hindsight your friends could have done or could they have done anything to get you out of that? If you, cause he would treat me demeaningly in front of them as well. He would talk down to me, but my friends were all my age and he just seemed like this bigger, more grown up person than all of us. So I don't blame my friends for not saying anything, but if people today saw these things in a relationship that their friend was in, just pull them aside and say, you know, this doesn't seem healthy. This doesn't seem safe for you. Are you okay? If you need help getting away from him, let me know. There wasn't anyone I could think of that I could call to help me move out of New York, except my parents. But I was so mortified and I was so afraid of disappointing my parents that I didn't tell them that I was actually moving home when I did. It took do your parents of, know this now? Do they know everything? Now they do. Now they're aware of everything. It took and of a couple course, of years. Before have they told you like, them. of course you could have come in home. Like Absolutely. you're not going to disappoint us. Absolutely. 100%. But they knew that they understood all the choices I made. They never got mad at me. They were just really sad that they felt like I couldn't ask anyone for help. And it was my ego that really prevented me from asking for help. But if a friend had offered 
to help me, then I would have taken them up on it in an instant. Do you really think you would have, or do you think you would have said, no, no, it's Um, okay. No, at the point where if I knew someone who had a car, because I also had a cat too, that I had to get out of this situation. Towards the end, I definitely would have, if I felt like I even had anyone to talk to, to say like, this is what's going on. Okay. The toxic environment I'm living in. And if anyone had asked about it, I just, I would have taken them up on it. You mentioned a few things about him before, like he's military and also he has his own business. Um, Like, is he as successful as he seems or is this all credit card debt running amok? Like what's all 100% a scam. So when we lived together, he said um, the deal was that he would cover the rent and I would cover all the other bills. So the cell phone bill, the utilities, the food shopping. I didn't know that he never paid the rent. So Wait, what? Ended, he never paid the rent. He never paid the rent. And so we got evicted towards the end. This was the very last month. And I had already started moving my stuff home. But we got evicted. And we, this is me being 24, severely depressed, and doing anything I could to get out of this nightmare relationship with this man and we ended up using ubers to move out of the apartment that we were being evicted from into an airbnb and stayed there for a couple of days and he said i will kill your cat if you don't sign a lease for me for a new apartment to live in while you stay with your parents sorry you had your cat Yes, because we were still living in this Airbnb together. He said he would kill her if he- Did you believe he would? 100%. 100%. There's no doubt in my mind that he would do that because I had seen him be violent against other people. And he was violent against me on two occasions out of this entire time. But as we know, emotional abuse is just as bad as physical. But he had gone to a fight with a cab driver- once where the cab driver wasn't following the directions that he wanted. So they got out of the car and the cab driver said, you have to pay for like, you have a $20 tab. You have to pay for it. And they got into a verbal and then physical fight. And then the police showed up and John just flashed his military ID. And they said, okay, sir, sorry about that. Go along. I also didn't believe that I could rely on the police for help because if he has this job that he still technically was in the military, he still had to check in to a base somewhere in Brooklyn that he would disappear to <laughs> once a month. Then I didn't ask a lot of questions because I didn't want to know and I didn't really care about him. And then another time he got stopped by police jumping a turnstile in Times Square and all he had to do was flash his military ID and the cops let him go. So I was that afraid because he had power. This is a, this, he's a white man? Yes. He had power. Police obviously were going to take his side in any situation. So mm-hmm. I couldn't even go to them for help. Mm-hmm. If I felt like I was in dangerous situations. So what did he do when you say physically, what did he do? So one of the, the first times something happened was he didn't tell me that he had used my bank card to charge his to pay for his cell phone bill that month. And I got mad at him because then I had a $30 overdraft fee. And he mm-hmm. said, just call Bank of America and tell them that you're going to put money in right now. And I was so flustered and I was so mad and I couldn't explain to the woman 
exactly what was going on. And he was so frustrated. And in hindsight, I can say that he was, that he himself was embarrassed that as at this point, a 32 year old man had to rely on this girl to pay his cell phone bill. This woman. Yes. Stop calling yourself. You are not under 18. You keep doing that. You keep calling yourself girl. So yes. So this young woman to pay his cell phone bill. He got so frustrated with me that he knocked the phone out of my hand and Mm -hmm. uh, basically just um, stuck his like thumbs in my mouth and choked me and pinned me against the couch. And then suddenly it was just like this an outburst said a lot of just like yelled at me. Can the woman from the bank hear this? Probably. Probably. Oh my God. I think about like if they had a recording of that, like I do, I have thought about that. Like if that is somewhere on a record. Okay. And so, then what happened after that? And then I got up and he threw like $40, like two twenty dollars bills at me and was like, go deposit this into your bank before like to take care of the overdraft fee just get out of here I don't want to see you and I remember that it was January there was a foot of snow on the ground in Manhattan I walked to the ATM in my Ugg boots just like terrified and then I go back to the the apartment and he said I'm gonna go interview Emma Stone you look like shit and I would be embarrassed to take you with me so stay here and then he left then I have like Facebook memories that pop up where the morning of that, I say, I get to interview Emma Stone today. I'm so excited. And every time I see that, it just reminds me of like, like that terrible What day. happened? Right. What was the second time? The second time was another situation where I said I wanted to leave. He was mad that I was going to see a therapist because he said that it was pathetic, that I needed someone to tell me that I was doing okay and that I wasn't ruining my life. He just was like, you're pathetic. People who need therapy are pathetic. Are you talking about me? What are you telling her about me? I'm like, I'm not, I don't talk about you at all. And that made him upset. And then he just like backhanded me across the face. And then he backhanded um, you. And I just sat there and I was started just like crying and screaming. And he, his response was, you put your hands up first. You said you were going to hit me. I was only protecting myself. And I was like, I have no idea what to, I just no idea what to do with you. That's not what happened. And I just left. And anytime something, we would get into a lot of arguments and it was always my fault. Always my fault, no matter what happened. And I would just leave and I would go sit on the same bench because we lived near the um, Museum of Natural History. And I would sit on a bench there and just cry and like, how did I let my life get this bad? I remember being in a really unhappy relationship. And I remember like I wrote, I wrote an email to myself to be get to be sent to me. Like I had scheduled it for like a year out thinking like, I hope things change right next year saying like, are you happy yet? I remember I had broken up with that person by then. And then like that email came into my inbox. And I started crying because I, being happy is not pathetic. Right. There was a lot of nights that I would spend hours in the middle of winter just staying on that bench um, on the Upper West Side and imagining this weird like coping mechanism I had was that I imagined myself in a wedding dress on my wedding day coming up to me and finding me on this bench and saying, in 10 years, none of this will matter. 
right like you I promise like I just felt like I had this imaginary friend of myself from the future reassuring me that I was going to be okay and then I was going to find happiness and then the current relationship that I'm in that my partner that I'm engaged to one of the first times we went to New York City together and we happened to be in the neighborhood where I live I brought him to this the same bench and I said I just need you to sit here with me for a minute and I just started bawling and I said I hope somehow that a part of me today is able to reach that young version of myself and that like feel that you will find happiness and you'll find safety and you will find someone who loves you for exactly who you are and my partner who was so incredible he completely understood and he just was like we can sit here all afternoon whatever you need i know people like john not Mm -hmm. even not just personally but even like professionally not as a matchmaker but like you know you i you know a lot of my mentors are also clinical psychologists they tell you stories and all that stuff people like john once zoe goes away there's a new zoe absolutely he always had a ton of girls on the side that i didn't find out about until years later and i'm still finding out about just Two weeks ago, I had a girl DM me on Instagram saying that I've been wanting to write this email to you for eight years. I had been talking to John while you guys were dating and I was newly married. I was insecure. I was young and he just like, we only talked and on the phone and texted and, but I could never seem to get him out of my life. And it was like this adrenaline rush that he created for me. And she's like, I'm so sorry that I like cheated on with your boyfriend during this. And I just told the girl, I'm like, it's been eight years. You're not, if you needed to do this for you, that's okay. Have women contacted you saying that, that they've dated him like after you and experience like the same, like you have a blog post about all of this that lays it all out and it's all out there. What spurred the blog post, the first one about John is that I saw a doctor because I was having a lot of really terrible neck pain. And he told me that I had an injury to my neck that could only have happened from blunt trauma. He asked me like, what, Like, have you ever been in a car accident or anything? And the only neck injury that I ever had was him choking me. So it was that, and that was the first time that I really thought about those years with John. Because quickly after I moved to New Jersey, a couple months later, I met my partner off of Tinder. And six years later, we have a house at the beach, we're engaged, everything's wonderful. But it wasn't until 2018 that I really started to process everything that I had been through. So that's why I wrote the blog post and then detailing my experience with John. And I left it up there. And so many people in the two years since I posted it have come out of the woodwork, out of nowhere, emailing me saying, hey, I dated him right after you left him. I had the same experience. He scammed me. Another girl that he was dating at the same time as that girl, he scammed her out of $40,000. That's, he continually just, there, I have such a long list of women who were older than him, younger than him, girls who were still in their early 20s, even though he, John is close to 40 now, that he is still 
preying on on Twi- on Instagram and Tinder and just lots of girls who say they're about to go out on a date with him, but they Google his name first and my blog post is the first thing that comes up and they realize like, oh, thank you so much for posting that because now I won't go on a date with him. And it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't stop. It's always every couple of months, somebody else new contacts me. And it's a weird thing to have to deal with because there's this traumatic experience in your life, but it always comes back down to this is up because if somebody had posted something like this, when I knew him, I would have known from the beginning to stay away from him. So if I can prevent other- But Zoe, <laughs> you also, you knew from the beginning, like, look, I, I get it. I totally mm-hmm. get it. And I think what you're doing is a public service. This person is clearly a sociopath. Yep. Uh, he manipulates people, seems like he's a pathological liar, probably bipolar, just based on what you're saying, right? And again, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not diagnosing him because I don't have that capacity to intellectually, <laughs> but just, you know, just from a few things that you're saying, this is this is what it sounds like. However, you also have your own agency. So I get I that you were 21. I get that you knew you knew from the beginning mm-hmm. he was bad. But I think what blinded you was ego. The ego to go back to your parents, the ego to thinking that you know, when will I ever get to experience this and that and this? Absolutely. That was definitely a problem. But it also, in all the fights and living with him, he 100% knew what my insecurities were. Uh, Sure. I didn't, I had an eating disorder in college, so I didn't like the way that I looked. um, And I was terrified of moving back to New Jersey. So he would always say that I was getting fat. I was getting unattractive. I wasn't attractive enough to interview someone such as Ryan Gosling. And he just completely was able to tear away any self-worth that I had. So even though I knew the entire time what was happening, I was in such a depressed state that I'd never been in before. And my self-worth was completely thrown Completely shot. Yeah, yep. totally what kind of takeaways do you have on this? Just because someone performs grand gestures of affection or declarations of love doesn't mean that it's true. It's not a healthy relationship if you are fighting all the time. Now, there's a difference. I understand that there's healthy fighting that happens. But if someone blames you for everything, and they never can take accountability for it, that's a red flag. And if they don't like any of your friends and family, that's another red flag. That's a big red flag. That's a big red flag. So it's really just trying to make sure that the people in your life treat you well. Because after that, I was really ready to just never date ever again until I happened to meet someone who had also dated sociopaths or narcissists. And we both knew the warning signs and we were very clear from the beginning of, I refuse to let someone treat me this way. If you can deal with that and if you understand that, then Mm -hmm. we can go forward with a relationship. Mm. So uh, I was very upfront about my past and my partner was very upfront about his past and our relationship 
baggage, for lack of a better term, and what our ground rules were for, I refuse to be treated this way. And if you ever do that once, I'm out. And Mm. it's been six years and we've never had a problem because that level of trust and respect was so highly regarded in the beginning that, and we knew, and that was something we valued in a relationship more than anything else. So it made me more aware of specifically what I wanted out of life and in someone who I was going to spend my life with. Mm -hmm. Totally get that. Zoe, thank you so much for sharing this story. I sincerely hope that if anyone is listening who is experiencing remotely what you just described, that they will get help. Relationships are supposed to be fun. Yes, there are going to be times where you disagree and you will try to find a healthy way to compromise and communicate and compromise to a solution. One of the things I say, if you want to know if you're fighting well, think about the problem. Are you both agreeing that it's the same problem? Because if you can both agree that you're dealing with the same problem, having a different opinion on a solution is perfectly fine. It's healthy. That's okay. But you both have to agree on the problem. Right. And have the same view and recognize what it is. And the problem with dating narcissists or people who are just sociopaths is that the the problem that you see is not the same problem that they are viewing. No. And usually things are never their fault. Right. Well, like I said, Zoe, thank you so much for sharing this story. I hope this helps someone. I think it will. Um, Zoe, how can people find you? So I am on Twitter um, since the last 12 years <laughs> is crazy enough. Um, my Twitter handle and my Instagram handle are at Bookish Bell. My website where my blog is, is bookishbell.com. And I don't talk about this situation as much as I used to years ago. I mostly talk about the book that I'm writing because I went to school for writing and then just everyday lifestyle, little quips and reactions to what's going on in the world. And if anyone does feel like they're in a situation like this, or they think they might be, you guys can also DM me. I'm very open to anyone that feels like they need, they're too scared to make the first step to getting out of a situation and they're too scared to tell a family member or a friend. So telling a stranger is easier. So if Mm -hmm. someone is listening to this and they want someone to understand that won't judge them, then I am, I'm here for that. Zoe, I'm going to have your details, your Instagram and Twitter and, and website in the episode notes. Thank you again for coming to speak at Ask a Matchmaker. Thank you so much for having me. This is an absolute pleasure. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to Ask a Matchmaker. If you have a friend who is experiencing something similar to Zoe and you don't know how to reach out, this is the perfect podcast that you should be sharing with them. Maybe they'll see themselves in this and maybe they will ask for help finally. If you love what you heard, you can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have a dating or relationship question, you can visit askamatchmaker.com and leave a 60-second audio question. You can also follow me on Instagram at matchmakermaria for more dating and relationship tips. Until then, see you next week.